Well, good morning, good day, good evening. My name is Jill, and these are some version of my journals out loud. And today, I believe, is Wednesday. It is January 31st, right? How did that happen? Tomorrow is February. Kaboom, and life marches on. So we're going to take a deep breath. I am going to attempt to be uh, less long-winded today. We'll see how that goes and address what we saw in the title, which is this idea of what I'm calling the language of energy. And if you've been here for a while, you do know that I have been uh, meandering around these different ideas around the nervous system, around fight, flight, freeze, about push, pull, pause, about want, don't want, and also, you know, about this idea of what it means to be safe and just other stuff. Some of it in regards to being wired for danger, which is what I believe uh, a tiny percentage of us are, which makes us infinitely more reactive, hyper-reactive. But everybody's got a different pace. Everybody has a different response. And the power of all this information isn't just to congratulate ourselves when we look in the mirror and say, yes, that's who I am. It's really how to navigate the world. And a couple things have been happening and happened. And, you know, I'm in this frustrating place of, of I have ideas that I can't get to. And so I keep pushing them forward. But I'm frustrated because I don't want to be in the push place. I want to be in the do place. But my energy is so low. I'm moving in such slow motion. Again, see, this is all the language of energy that, you know, I'm agitated a lot of the time with myself, upset with myself, angry at myself that I can't be more productive. And for those of you who are YouTubers, you saw that yesterday I posted a video. Welcome, if anybody's new from over there. And, you know, I did something different. I don't like having the camera close to me or in my hands, You're trying to mess with the dogs. And um, so I had set it up so that I could uh, put a, just one long shot, which allowed me to move around because I had a microphone on my body. Previously, you know, I could only use the microphone on the camera, which means I have to be, you know, within two to four feet of the camera at all times. And so that's very limiting because I don't have all the fancy equipment that keeps it, you know, from bouncing around. And I don't have, a, uh, I didn't bring a uh, tripod with me. I just have a little tripod. So, I mean, there's a lot of limitations around that. And so I like that idea of let's just put it far away and I can move around as long as I'm in the shot, right? You can hear me and you can see, but it takes one thing that's been stressful for me, an extra push trying to juggle two dogs, you know, the leashes and the camera and things like that. So I was excited that that worked. I was able to get the audio and the video synced up enough so it looked normal. But the experience I had, and I wish everybody could videotape themselves because you learn so much about observing yourself because you don't have that same experience from behind your eyes as you do when you're watching. Uh, but you're catching things about yourself that other people aren't catching, is I was kind of taken aback by how sluggish I am. And I had trouble breathing. And, you know, when I'm sitting and talking to you, I'm in a passive state. And so I don't 
have that same kind of labored effort to move through the world, but I could really see, you know, how I'm constantly talking about how tired I am. I could see how sluggish and over effort I was expending trying to walk and talk at the same time. And and the reason I say that is that, you know, at the end of this terribly long journey of asking questions, you know, the one thing I keep coming back to is that at the end of the day, it's all about energy and not just money, not just food as fuel, but thinking energy, emotional energy, uh, you know, other people's energies impact on us. And all of that, you know, gets filtered through this want and this not want. And that creates energy. There's pressure, push, right? So I want to get a million things done. I'm under this constant internal pressure to push into what I want when the reality is, is I can't push because it doesn't get done and I just don't have the energy to do it. And, you know, the dogs have a lot of energy. And so when they push at me, I want to go out, you know, they're, I'm trying to put my shoes on, you know, when we go out in the morning and they're pushing at me to get out and I keep pushing them back. Uh, and when they don't stop, you know, my I get more frustrated because there's too much push. Their push is frustrating me because I can't go any faster. And that's where that anger thing comes for people. When you walk up to a stranger and you uh, accidentally bump into them and they snap and you say, oh, what's wrong with you, asshole, right? We, we were offended at somebody's inappropriate reaction. But what's going on for them is they can't take one more tiny puff of pressure. And it's this constant flow in and out of energy. And I hadn't really thought about it in this way or this language, but watching me, you know, with the heaviness that I have in my body and my breath, and the only thing that's not slow is my thinking. I was thinking I have a hypo, slow body and a fast brain, and those have never been in sync and they never will be because they're getting worse. Uh, but it's this constant pressure to push into something that I can't get done. And uh, in the same way, people who are, uh, who freeze up or there, there's a big thing online now about being stuck in freeze and, uh, and it means something a little bit different than what I talk about with you here. But, you know, there's a lot of trauma work that talks about people are stuck in the freeze response. And what that really means is that if you have a trauma and the energy doesn't discharge, it gets stuck in your cells. And until you discharge that energy, you can't really heal from the traumatic experience. But there's a lot of people who are just stuck. And we use that word, you know, to mean a lot of different things. But, you know, it's like they can't handle one more piece of pressure and they collapse, you know, where I lash out, don't push at me. Somebody who's in you know, a pause or a freeze place, one tiny bit of pressure and they collapse. Uh, whereas a runaway person, a flight person, a pullback person, one tiny extra piece of pressure and they just disappear, right? They just walk away from you. They just shut down. They just walk off. They uh, stop calling. They ghost you, right? They can't 
confront. They can't deal with one tiny extra bit of pressure. And that pressure is just really energy. So I was, uh, for whatever reason, right, I caught this documentary and it's in the notes here. And I strongly suggest everybody watch it. One, it's super interesting. It's a lady who was born... Uh, and lived through the Dust Bowl as a child. And she happened to be in New Mexico and Texas. So it was good for me because I was, I could relate to the terrain and I could visualize, you know, all of this so clearly. But so many nuggets of survival wisdom. Just, you know, like I didn't know this. So this is my big takeaway. Uh, the mesquite trees have big roots underground that they used to dig the roots up and use that for the firewood because it was much bigger. The roots were much bigger than the tree uh, branches and limbs. And I thought, I didn't know that. So you just never know, you know, what you're going to take out of people's stories. And, uh, and she's, you know, she reminds me so much of the ranching women, you know, that I've talked about. There's just a sturdiness, a steadiness, a hardiness about them. And it was so fascinating to listen to her talk about uh, what things were actually like and how people responded to the pressures of the Dust Bowl and how, uh, you know, the women responded in one way, the men responded in another way. You know, the children were incredibly resilient regardless, you know, of the terrible things that were happening to them and how some people stepped up and how some people collapsed. And, you know, it's not a right or wrong. It's just a want or don't want. You know, I don't want this to happen. I'm going to quit and give up. Uh, I don't want this to happen, but I'm going to push through and persevere. So just really interesting if you want like practical real life what happens to people under extreme pressures, you know, long-term chronic pressure as we, you know, move into a wildly uncertain future. But in a little surprise twist at the end, uh, she, you know, through a series of interesting uh, kindnesses from strangers, ended up going to college and then she went to graduate school and she developed this whole language on how to help deaf people uh, learn to speak. And as she was describing it, it really just connected with me that what I'm really trying to do with you guys here is the same thing. She broke language down in a way that someone who can't hear can understand. And by understanding, they can speak more clearly. And by being more able to have communication, they were, you know, more successful in life uh, as it was, you know, not necessarily now. And, you know, as I have moved into this idea of trying to understand the nervous system and how do we deal with all the uncertainty and the chronic stress and so much fear that's percolating and all the scary scenarios and, you know, at the big driver of the nervous system is I want to be safe. How do I protect myself? How do I stay safe? How do I create security? Uh, whether we're conscious or not, you know, that's what the nervous system is driving us. What do we need to be afraid of? What is a danger that we're responding to? And all of that is an energetic system. Uh, it's, you know, we talk about, you know, communication is 70 to 90% nonverbal. 
there's debates, you know, on what some people say, you're just processing visual information. But it's just like someone who's deaf. We all are processing information in a very different way. And I know for myself, I process everything by the energy. I don't care what people say. I don't care what they do. I am old enough now to know to trust that the energetic impulse I am pulling from, because I can do it on the phone, I can do it from a distance. So I know it's not physical viewing and it's not just audio. Uh, there's something I am pulling it from the energy. And I'm, like I said, at this age, I know that I'm highly accurate. I always say the only time I screw it up is in romantic relationships. And the reason why, and here's, you know, the drum roll, is that when what we want conflicts with what we know, what we're being fed as information, you know, danger, 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 but we want something more than we want to respond to the danger impulse, that's how we become victims, right? I want this relationship, even though everybody, all my instincts are saying this is not a good choice, right? I want to go over to this uh, new country. Uh, I was thinking about how these two people went bicycling in some Middle Eastern country in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and they wanted to show how peaceful and everybody was. And they ended up getting murdered, right? So, I mean, we make choices about what we think we want that override all of our signaling that says danger, danger, danger. And so what I'm sharing isn't applicable to everybody because not everybody f can feel energy, I know the way that I can. And at the same time, by understanding that language, it opens up a different way to manage your life itself. And, you know, there was, I listened to a story about an autistic guy and he could not have, he could no more read energy, you know, if his life depended on it. He was completely unable to understand facial expressions, uh, words, uh, boundaries. He was so disconnected from any kind of human resonance. Uh, you know, he lived a terrible life ex until he figured out, uh, you know, and growing up, it was in the 70s. So they told him, you know, his uh, guidance counselor, you're a loser, you're a dropout, you'll just end up in prison. So a constant negative feedback because this guy is not fitting into the world. And that was before we talked about autism other than, you know, severe debilitating, you know, nonverbal head banging, you know, as autism. Asperger's wasn't something or the spectrum wasn't a conversation. And so, uh, but he figured out he liked engineering and he liked music. He said, you know, my friend or not my friends, but other people were doing, wanted to be in front of the band. He just wanted to make the guitars work. And he became so good as a young man that he was doing all the special effects for kiss making their bar, their guitars go on fire. And he was doing all this really creative stuff. Uh, he was actually asked to interview for the head of Lucas special effects before there was such a thing as Lucas films, but he was so insecure because of all the negative feedback. You know, he hadn't graduated high school. He hadn't gone to college. He said no, because you know, the constant feedback, was you're not successful because you don't speak our language. You're not like other people. You're disagreeable. You're uncomfortable to be around. But 
What he also figured out is if he could do engineering, he could probably fix cars. And so he became extremely proficient at fixing cars. And so uh, over time, he uh, he got really good at it. There was a therapist who took his car to him. And after a couple years, he said, you know, the therapist, well, I don't normally do this, but you might want to read this book. And so he read this book on autism and he had all the, you know, lights flash and Now he speaks out on it, but he said something very profound, you know, now that he's, you know, at this point, you know, how many years later, 50 years later, right? He said that, you know, he had an experiment done at Harvard where they did this electrical impulsing on him. And after that, for the first time, he had this really intense emotional experience and he was in conflict about whether he wanted that or not because he said what made him different from everybody else took away i mean was was the val- the exchange was what he had in exchange for it which what he described which is so fascinating i don't i never did uh, calculus. I don't understand, you know, higher level math. I just got through trig, but but his brain can listen to machinery and understand it at a frequency resonance level. That what he understands now is the mathematics are just a way to explain the language that is natural for him to just into it. Like his brain sorts all these processes out that other people to understand machinery have to have tools and monitors and, you know, tests and all this other kind of stuff. He can just listen to the engine and tell you exactly what's wrong with it. But we're so afraid of other people who don't speak our language, you know, or that, that, you know, your words don't match my words. I mean, we're in a moment of time where, we can't even speak to each other because everybody has a different meaning attached to the word. And that's why I put that title up, you know, words have power. Words only have power by what idea and energy we attach to it. You know, there's no, 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 no. You know, I have a very strong no. And it turns a lot of people off because uh, by the time I say no, I'm setting a boundary with my no uh, and most people aren't used to others having a very strong no. And so uh, people who are push people, fight people, they'll push back at my no. Uh, people who are, you know, runaway people, they'll just turn around and leave. Uh, or they'll, if they're freeze people, they'll just collapse, right? They give up. <sighs> just give up in the face of your no. Uh, and all of this to me, comes through as energy. I don't listen to what you say. I don't put a lot of stock in words because as a child, I didn't understand what was happening, that what people said and how their energy felt were two radically different things. And it was so stressful to figure out what am I supposed to respond to, what you're saying or how you actually feel, right? Oh, you know, I really, that's a really good job when everything in their energy was, you know, God damn it, you fucked it up again. So it's, it's, it's the language I understand. And I think what I've been trying to do without really understanding it was to create an explanation for people 
who do understand the energy of language and give it words and simplicity because, uh, you know, the reason I love animals is their insides and their outsides match. There's no conflict between what they think, feel, and do. Everything is alignment. Uh, you know, I loved what was happening with veterans and horses because of this exact thing. You can't BS or manipulate or physically push and overpower a horse. You have to manage your energy in response to the horse, and the horse will not lie. If you are, if you don't feel good, the horse will won't pay attention to you or will get away from you. You can't make a horse or dominate it, or control it, or beat it. I mean, you can break it, but, you know, let's not go there. So, but this is all the language of energy. And and some people have even different, you know, they see colors, or they hear sounds, or there's all this new stuff people are admitting, you know, where, like me as a kid, you know, I didn't understand what was happening. I just was confused. And you know, people were uncomfortable. And in that same way, because I wasn't one to uh, say things and feel things separately, uh, people were uncomfortable around me. And, you know, part of being a social worker was learning how to lie, right? Learning how to play the game, learning how um, the worst thing that I ever had to do, which is, you know, a life skill, but was horrible as a social worker was that, you know, the customer is always right. So no matter how horrific the person in front of me was, uh, you know, I was in a hospital with other people and rules, and I couldn't tell that person what I thought. And as there's, and you know, I was, they'd send me up, you know, to the people who were disgruntled, and they'd have to, you know, I'd have to sit there and listen to them, you know, yell at me and, and, just be irrational and I would have to calm them down. And it was horrible because everything in me was like, you know, F you, why don't you just leave? And, uh, and I wasn't supposed to ever be somebody who was angry or upset. I was supposed to be the calm, nice, kind, gentle social worker, which is, you know, the antithesis of who I am because I have strong no. I have a strong justice streak. I have a strong need to protect the innocent and the vulnerable at the cost of my job, right? I'm, you know, my energy is to run against and push against the, uh, the, the badness or the injustice or the evil or the dangerous, uh, versus, you know, the nice social worker who's supposed to just sit there and go, uh-huh, 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 and pat him on the hand. So it was horrible, but it was a good learning because it allowed me to function in society that mostly operates out of alignment. You know, what people feel, what they think, and what they say are and do are completely out of alignment for almost everybody. And, you know, that's a cultural issue. But what I love about this idea of calling it the language of energy is that it's nonverbal. It's not English. It's not spoken. It's what animals do. It's what babies do. Uh, and it's a way to understand what's happening to you and, and staying safe. Because, you know, one of the biggest reasons uh, people get in trouble. I've talked about this with Gavin De Becker. Is that, you know, women who have been raped will tell you 
almost, he, in fact, he said he's never had someone not tell him. They had an instinct that this was a problem. Uh, you know, this guy is offering to bring my groceries up into my apartment, and he's a stranger. Uh, this person just crossed the street, right? But they won't say no because they don't want to hurt that person's feelings, or they don't want to pitch a fit on the public street because they don't want to look silly. Now, if you ask them after, which would you prefer, hurt that guy's feelings or look silly? Of course, but in the moment, you collapse or you run away. Whereas, you know, I, I was have been thinking about what I do is I will stick my hands up you know, stop, you're in my energy field, and you need to step back. Uh, and most people aren't used to that. But I have a huge, you know, perimeter around me, my boundary is huge. But it's energy, like you are now at a point where you've closed too much distance. Uh, I had taken the dogs to the dog park, and there was a guy there, and we were walking around. Uh, and he and I was, it's a very small dog park. So I was next to the fence and he was on the inside and he wouldn't turn. Like he was pushing me to the fence because his boundary was way less than mine. And I was getting irritated because, uh, you know, he, I don't know him. I don't want to be physically close to him. Like you need to make this turn and get out of my space. It was very uncomfortable. But I was observing, thinking this is just a feeling. It's not a conversation that we're having verbally. And he's totally unaware because he's just walking laps. I'm like, you need to back the F up, right? You need to move over. Uh, you know, the dogs, my two dogs wouldn't leave him alone. They wouldn't leave his dog alone. You know, my dogs were all energy and and, you know, that his dog was correcting them, get away from me, you know, snapping at them, trying to bite them. You know, he was trying to push them off because they don't have respect until they have a really strong no, get out of my space. And, you know, that's my responsibility for not having trained them. But it's also so key in how we move through this world. And we can't be safe if we don't recognize danger is within our boundary zone. And I don't know how else to explain it because for me, it's so energetic. It's all this push-pull pause. It's so fine-tuned that it isn't going to make sense. Like the autistic guy, what I talk about would make zero sense to him. But it's a powerful tool for those of us who it does make sense for. And he has a gift. Like I was thinking, man, if I had a mechanic like that, I don't care how obnoxious he is, right? As long as he doesn't overcharge me or, you know, do that whole, let me fix one thing and break two more things, right? So you have to keep coming back. You know, if he's honest and he charges a fair rate, I don't care how obnoxious he is. I can feel confident and safe that this guy really understands cars and I don't have to worry about it. But culturally, we're so hung up on everybody needs to be a certain way and, and you're rude and you're an ass and I'm going to reject you or I'm going to haze you or I'm going to beat you or I'm going to bully you or I'm going to condemn you or I'm going to humiliate you. All the things we do when somebody's different and we're uncomfortable is because we can't communicate. We don't understand their language. 
and we make them wrong. And we make them wrong to keep them away from us so that we can feel safe in our little bubble of uh, conformity. And how much are we missing? You know, here's this guy who is, uh, I just, you know, like I said, I thought it was fascinating listening to him talk about how he was processing information that was extremely mathematically complex without any formal way to explain it or do it. He just knows it. And how much of our, you know, how much are we losing? Because we're so afraid of people who don't function within our tiny comfort zone. Now that's the positive side. The negative side is the scary stuff. Because how many bad things happen because we're afraid to really trust what we feel about this other person. Or, you know, what's even more tragic is when we know this other person's a problem, but we can't do anything about it. You know, they're living with us. They're a family member. We're married to them. That's a child. And, you know, I don't have any answers for that because there's, you know, we don't have systems to help people that are effective. We don't have, uh, you know, we have the, the, mental health and the judicial system are not helpful. You know, they're just, they don't do anything to make the problem better. If somebody is violent or abusive or pathological or sociopathic or psychopathic, we don't have a way to be protective other than, you know, pushing the problem off onto somebody else. Now, you know, that's not right. That's not good. That's the culture that we live in. You know, it used to be the the culture, the tribe, the community would shun the other person and make them leave. But they're just pushing that person off onto somebody else. Or they would kill them, right? Before you had prisons or mental health institutions, you just kill them or push them out. And so none of these are good choices. And I think that's what makes this so tragic and sad is that you know, I'm, I can say, you know, I'm really excited that I have this language I want to share and I'm putting words to it. And I think this is very powerful, but it isn't going to solve the biggest problems because we don't have systems to take care of the biggest problems. And what we have right now is the end cycle of not knowing how to deal with these problems of not keeping evil in check, not keeping psychopaths in check, not keeping sociopaths or mental illness or violence or addiction that leads to violence, all these things that create unsafe conditions for the rest of us who are just trying to get along on any given day. It's all been left unchecked for so long that it is now perverted. You know, we have a justice system that, that turns loose guilty people and imprisons innocent people. You know, we have politics that, you know, is thinking of new and improved ways to kill us. And, you know, we have institutions who just focus on exploitation and profit and power. I mean, we've created a nightmare monstrosity that, you know, eventually will collapse under its own weight you know, the question is, is what will rise up from underneath it? And, you know, when I do all this, you know, I always come to the same conclusion without seeking to understand 
you know, before we attack, condemn, judge, persecute, kill, whatever, you know, we're never going to culturally move forward. So, you know, what I'm coming to this conclusion for myself is that what I've really been developing with you guys listening isn't a solution to any situation. It's just a way to understand it with a new language. Uh, You know, when I would see what was going on with the horse people, you know, and therapy through the horses, I, you know, I was like, that's awesome. But not everybody can just have a horse or go hang out with horses, you know, and learn and have that be enough. Like there's got to be another way. And that's, you know, I think what I've inadvertently sort of stumbled across here is a language that talks about what, you know, I've been doing on my own with animals and nature and people, but it doesn't change the outcome. It doesn't make me have a perfect life. It doesn't make me have everything go my way. It doesn't, as I started off this, it doesn't do anything to give me more energy All it does is it allows me to understand who I am and how I operate in this world, just like the autistic guy now. Well, he understands who he is and how he operates in the world. And we get to make decisions about that. We get to observe what others do and decide, you know, he his whole goal was to he wanted to be able to feel because he wanted to be like other people. And he got that, which started to take away his uh, what made him unique and you don't value something until you lose it. Uh, You know, I had that with uh, ADHD medication. You know, all it did was make me functional, but it took away, you know, my spiritual connection. It took away my creativity connection. I knew it was having physical, you know, issues with my body. If you lose it long term, you know, there's heart damage and things like that. And you know, you can't, I can't have it both ways, right? So I have to choose which is more important, you know, my internal life or my physical body being more productive. And all of this is an energy conversation and not everybody is interested in it because it doesn't mean you're going to be safe every minute of the day. It doesn't mean evil is going to automatically wake up and put itself in check. You know, all it can do is give us just one more way to have language to understand who we are and why things are happening to us in the world and make decisions about that for ourselves. And, you know, some people value that and some people don't. You know, like the person, you know, is pushing me into the fence. You know, he doesn't care about that. That's not important to him. He's not observing my frustration and irritability with being pushed into the fence Uh, you know, my response was just to stop walking like this. I'm not enjoying being pushed into the fence. So what happened is we sat down at the picnic bench and then the dogs jumped all over it. (laughs) So I was relieved of the pressure of him pushing into my energy, but he then got, you know, the two dogs jumping on him. And we're just in this constant state of motion of, you know, who we are within our own little body and brain and our own little family and our own community and our own environment uh, and then who we are trying to navigate what's going on at the bigger level and I think the beauty of hearing other people's stories which is why you know I share some of mine and why I love sharing other people's stories you know when you listen to this lady talk about the dust bowl there were you know 
people, some people were resilient and some people just quit and gave up. Uh, and there was a lot of physical discomfort uh, and there was a lot of emotional strain that there's never been a time where everything was just perfect. And there's sort of this inverse relationship, right, where uh, adversity makes men and uh, prosperity makes monsters when there's, you know, and I was looking at her observing, you know, she's got, she's in a house and she's dressed nicely and her hair is done. And, and, you know, when you look at pictures of her mom in the Dust Bowl, you know, everyone's kind of bedraggled and, you know, crappy housing and, you know, has that kind of weary look about them. But there's no perfect way because we get too comfortable and we lose the pressure of nature, right? We lose the pressure of the outside world. We lose the pressure of the elements, which kind of contain us and manage us in one way. Uh, whereas, you know, now we're being contained and managed through social media and uh, likes and dislikes and social engineering. You know, if you don't think this way, we're going to put you in prison. So, there's always some pressure that we're responding to. Uh, I think the difference is, you know, whether it's natural pressure from nature or just normal human interactions versus manipulative pressure, which is what the children are going under. We're going to pressure you into thinking you're a boy if a girl and a girl and a boy. We're going to pressure you into believing, you know, that you're a victim. There's all these things happening all the time over the course of time. But what they all have in common is the energy exchange. And so when we can step back and try to understand it non-verbally, to me, that's a real game changer because, you know, what I see over and over and over again, uh, most people have bad things happen to them because what they want, they push into what they want versus paying attention to the cueing, paying attention to the signaling, uh, you know, like this guy is pushing my boundaries. He's completely unaware that I'm, he's in my space. So, you know, you multiply that times 10 years and, you know, you've got a situation where you're with somebody who doesn't respect you, that runs all over you and you're fuming and resentment all the time. But I got all that information in the first five minutes. Now, it's not somebody I'm interested in, so there's no conversation. But what if I, you know, if this person was saying, oh, you know, I have all this stuff I want to give you or, oh, you know, I'm really, you know, attract, or let's say you're really attracted to him or, oh, this is Mr. Right or, oh, this is a really good job or, oh, this is a freebie. You know, that's how we are lured into situations or we are pulled into situations because we are not paying attention to the signaling. Like this guy is in my space. He's not respectful of my boundaries. And, you know, the dogs aren't respectful of his boundary. I mean, there's some clearly there's some issues there. Even if I didn't listen to a single word he said, I have a lot of information. And I've just done that for so long. And so naturally, you know, I don't, it's like the guy who listens to the engine. Nobody taught me any of that. I only ever remember having that as be real for me. And, uh, you know, the, the therapy part was just the piece of paper. I didn't learn any of this in school, uh, you know, but I learned to trust it over the years. And so when I was listening to her describe what she was doing, how she broke the language down, and it didn't have anything to do with words as 
the point, the meaning, the idea then became a symbol with the hands and how that started, you know, when when you start when they're an infant and they're not even speaking yet. I thought, you know, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to create a language with you of energy. And I focused on the wire for danger because that's what I understand. But it's not, it's the same for all of us. We're all constantly using energy. And because we're not sitting around watching ourselves on video or listening to us, our, what we record, we don't really have a good awareness of who we are. And so as much as I'd like to be, you know, self-aware, I'm still watching myself going, oh, I didn't realize it was that bad. And so it's, uh, it, it's fat to me, all of this is really fascinating. You know, in my perfect world, I wish that that everybody could just get stuff and that we could all be safe, right? Like we need to be safe in order to have peace. But peace isn't the problem, you know, it's safety. And it's like the chicken and the egg, which comes first. Because when things are peaceful, we tend to get lazy and we don't pay attention. Uh, When we're in constant and chronic fear, we burn out and we break down. You have to have both good pressure and bad pressure and relief from pressure and timeouts from pressure. And you can't be, you know, push, push, push all the time. You can't be frozen up all the time. You can't be running away all the time. It's this mastery of the flow of it all that really creates, you know, it may not be a high quality life in terms of external success, because in the Western world, you know, what we value are not values. We value profit. We value status. We value perception. We value the illusion more than we value the experience of what's really going on. And so, uh, especially as we move into an AI world and we don't even know what's real or not, you know, artificial intelligence doesn't have energy. They just have words and symbols. And, you know, there's a question, you know, like what's real, what's not real. And the way that I can tell who's BS and who's not BS is because I can read the energy and the AI has no real life force. They have no conscious energy. They have the simulation. And so when you can read it from the energetic level, it would be like a mechanical dog versus a real dog. There's just you know, no question, right? It's if you've seen a dead body, if you look at a dead body versus an alive body, There's just no comparison. So we know it's real, uh, but I don't, you know, I've never had a way to describe it, but I think, you know, what I'm moving towards finally is a way to describe it. And so I'm very excited about that. And, uh, and I get some people will have no idea what I'm talking about. Some people will totally have an idea what I'm talking about. But to me, the value isn't even just for us. Uh, It's for the ability, if we could, you know, if we ever can move into a world where we're more accepting of the different kinds of languages we speak and the willingness to understand, but also to take people seriously because, you know, we have vast cultural differences in the same way that you bring a violent person into your home 
you can seek to understand all day long, but that's not going to get that person out. The best thing you could have done is to get them out or never to let them in. You know, it's the same thing when you have a dog that's that's uh, dangerous to your children. You know, you may not be able to save both your children and the dog and you have to make a choice. And your heart wants to save both. But we have to ask ourselves, you know, we don't have systems in place to manage this. Why is that? Because we don't value it. We don't value the person. We value the profit. We don't value healing what's wrong with us. We value judging what's wrong with us. We value somebody else telling us we're going to be safe if we take this pill without understanding the pill is what's debilitating us. So there's no solutions that are simple, immediate, or going to even step in and save us. The best we can do is manage what's happening to us, you know, make decisions about what we want to do to participate at this point in time, uh, you know, in the same way, like I can't do survival anymore. Uh, and watching myself, I'm like, oh my God, like all I can do is pretty much sit and talk. And so that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting and talking. I can't do much more, even though my brain wants to push to infinity. You know, my body is just not playing that game anymore. It never did, but it's just getting worse and worse. And so, uh, and that's just real. You know, it's not a pill. It's not a, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's something going on. I don't know how to fix it. And I don't think it's something that, you know, doctors can just go tap on and get it done. But it is real. But it helps me understand this language by giving it words. And I think that that's the power. The words themselves aren't powerful. But when we understand the energy behind the words, that's the next step because it's not just us in our tiny world it, you know except trusting you know we all have value just like the guy listening to the engines you know what we all wouldn't give for that kind of mechanic don't care how obnoxious you are you fix my car you know what's wrong i love you regardless of your attitude now he may not get married and have happy family and all that kind of stuff but his joy is in connecting with the engines and that's okay so again if you get a chance to watch that super interesting lots of little tiny tidbits on practical survival uh, lots of good information about what people really are like as they respond to pressure uh, you know, witness to unexpected kindness from strangers that change lives in the long term. Just to me, there's all kinds of good things in this uh, documentary or this, uh, you know, interview with this lady that are real versus, you know, all the people who are just speculating about the horror show of it all. And so with that, I hope you guys have a super fabulous day. Uh, we are gearing up for a week of... Uh, in and out weather. So I'm trying to decide if I'm going to stay here or just keep trying to drive around away from the rain. So with that, I'm not sure. But deep breath, my friends. I'm so grateful you were all here. And I will see you next time.